0: As we've been going through the book of James, we have covered a lot of territory. James is a book that deals with the practical, what I call practical Christianity. Sort of like what I uh, have said years and years ago, and uh, we'll say it again, sort of where the rubber meets the road in our practical things. We already know that based upon what we have learned about in other chapters that not when we have, if we have trouble, but when we have trouble that James told us we're to count it as all joy. Somebody says, how can I be joyful when I'm in trouble? Well, read James chapter 1 and he'll tell you how to do that. What you do is you lean and depend on Jesus and on the Lord. He says, because you and I know that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when we have trouble, what do we do? We realize that it's a testing of our faith. And every now and then, I don't know, has everybody that's here today, have you had some testings of your faith? I know I have. I can raise my hand just because of uh, just things that have happened and things that are going on. But that produces endurance. It helps you and I to keep on keeping on. Amen. So, and then we talked about something that we said a little bit earlier, that we are to be not just hearers, but we're also to be doers of the word. It does no good to hear and not to do. That's what the Bible tells us. Hear it and then live it out. And we talked about some various other things. We talked about the favoritism, that God has no favorites. God doesn't look... God is no respecter, the Bible will tell us, God is no respecter of the face. He doesn't care who you are or where you come from or what your color is or what your nationality is and all those things that sometimes hinder us. God does not show favoritism or partiality. And we as believers, we as a church, should not show favoritism or partiality. It's just not right. Treat everybody with respect and uh, common decency, even if you disagree with them. Why? Because they are the image bearers of Christ. We're all are created in the image of God. And, and if for no other reason, that's why we treat people right. I was in a conversation with Sister Brenda with your husband the other day. I saw you at Lowe's and he was giving me the story of somebody out there that was uh, using some racial epitaphs you know, saying things, and uh, he was telling me, he said, that's just not right. He said, you know, I don't understand why people do that. I said, well, you know, people are people. We, we are sinful creatures. Sinful things come out of our mouths. He said, but you know what? I've, I've been watching. He says, he said that one day, and I haven't seen him since. He said, they disappeared. He disappeared. I said, well, maybe somebody got to him and said, "You know what? You can't do that. You keep your opinions to yourself, but you can't be talking like that in the store when we have people coming in and out of." And I told him, I said, "I guess right back to what James tells us: God is no respecter of the faith. Just people, just treat people right. You do right, and God will honor that." And then we talked about controlling our tongue. We, another blessing is being able to control our tongue. But James tells us, little member, I mean, it's a little thing in our mouth, but boy, can it do some damage. And James says, nope, nope, can't do that. Especially, especially, and get this, a lot of what James is saying is addressed not to so much those on the outside, although today he is going to take aim at uh, some people outside the church there, but. Uh, But those of us who are on the inside, we have, as believers, as Christians, as saints of God, sometimes we have trouble with our tongue, and that ought not to be. Some things just don't need to be said. Just zip it, bite your tongue, say, Lord, I want it, but I'm not going to say it. And today, we get to chapter 5. And uh, James is going to tell us uh, how we can, in this chapter, he's going to tell us how we can handle trouble. Amen? John Lewis told us to do what? Good trouble. And what he meant by that was there are times that you may have to take a stand or do something that others might perceive as being a troublemaker. But the end game is it's really meant for good. James is going to let us know that how do we handle trouble. And in these first six and seven and a half verses, James is going to tell us that when it comes to riches, money, man, there's there's a good way to handle it. And in this case, there is a bad way that can handle it. Amen? He lets us know that in these first few verses that... Uh, People, number one, in verse 5 and verse 4, people are deprived from their wages. Then he drops down in verse 13 and 16, people physically are afflicted because of their wages. Then he addresses the spiritually backslidden in James 5, 9 through 10. And the second thing that James is going to tell us in, in terms of the, what's going on is that we should pray. Amen. He talks about the poor laborers cry out to God because of what was done to them because of their wages. The sick and the afflicted pour out their hearts. They cry out to God because of their sickness and their afflictions. And he uses an example in James 5, 17 through 18. He uses the example of Elijah. Amen. But today we just want to look at the first six verses, how we handle trouble. Point number one we want to talk about, the way they got their wealth. As a point of note or reference, James addresses here the wicked non-Christian, not rich Christians. So if you read this and you think he's talking about those who are in the church that may have that's not who he's talking to. Who he's talking to is those non-Christians who were in the church or attended the church who mishandled their riches. And in James chapter 4, 6 through 10, what he tells them is that there's no hope of repentance for them. And the reason why we can say that is that the language used here implied final condemnation rather than temporary discipline. He lets them know, no, this is it. There's no, there's no repentance from what, from what you have done. God uses a word, the word that is used there when he talks about a howling in James chapter Four is that how is usually associated with judgment or final judgment. Though these rich, wicked, non-Christian oppressors, you might ask the question, well, would they hear the message? Some may have been in the church service, but whether they were there or not, James addresses the issue, and what he says is, listen, I'm going to do this for two reasons. One, to let you who are inside the church know that there is hope. This is done both to give hope to the righteous and warn anyone who might be tempted to follow the same rebellious route. I'm going to write this into the chapter. I'm going to say this inside the church so that you might have hope. But also I'll I'll give you a warning that, guess what? Don't follow after these people do the right things. So the way they got their riches, James 5, 1 through 6, what does it say there? It says, come now, you rich people, weep, wail over the miseries that are coming on you. And notice what he says, your wealth has rotted, your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and it will eat your flesh like a fire. In other words, he talks about here the use of their wealth, the use of the wages that they were supposed to be paying to people. They used it for their own selfish purposes and were persecuting the poor in the process. We're living in that day, and probably have been living in that day, even today. It's a hard thing between business, management and the employees. Of course, employees always think we're worth more than sometimes we are. And then on the other side of it, the the people that deal with the money, they like looking at all that money and say, well, wait a minute, why would we want to pay them more when we can keep some of this, what, to ourselves? So it's a balance. And as a Christian business owner, as a Christian person, what we really need to do is like, listen, Come to the point where how much money is enough? I worked for a company that uh, the last quarter posted, I don't know, $5.8 billion. That's a lot of money. That's in the first four months of the year. We're now, what, this is month eight, I think it is? So I don't know what they made that. So when we look at the profits, But then when I talked to some of my buddies at UPS, they said, man, McGee, it's hard to get shirts anymore. It's hard to get some of the basic things that we need to get done. I mean, I ordered a shirt and it's almost a year later and I still haven't got it. I go, what? What's going on? If you're making almost $6 billion in four months, surely, and you're buying planes and trains and satellites and all that, surely you can, Spend some money on some shirt. But James says, now listen, come on now. You people who are rich, you you who have all this money, your wealth is rotted. Guess what? Clothes will become moth-eaten. Cars will rust. All the things, houses will fade away. That's why we're always constantly working on feeding it or repairing it. So his whole point is, wealth is not discouraged in the Bible, but how we handle it. God has never said we as Christians should not have money. But what he has said is, how do we handle the money that we have? And the problem with us is, it's not that God is asking too much of us to give. The problem is with us. We have not done right. We splurged, we bought, our eyes got big and we just said, I got to have it and we went out and did it and then when it comes time to do some other things we go, whoa, wait a minute, my money is what? Funny. Anybody been in that predicament? Yeah, one, couple hands, Ah, yes. Money's funny, honey. I uh, just recently told my family, you know, I told you to pray for me about this new car thing, whether I should or shouldn't. So I'm praying last week after I left you and Friday afternoon, I'm sitting there in, in my office and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lead me. A nice car would sure be great, Tony. I have my, I done researched it. I had it picked out. I knew what I wanted. In fact, I even called the dealer. I said, now, if I want to get this car, what do I have to do? He says, well, you need to come down, and we don't have any on the lot, but tell us what, what you want. We got base model and stuff, whatever you want on it, we'll build it, we'll build it and we'll get it to you. And I said, okay. So I made that got like, I go down to Cincinnati to get this thing. And then we were talking at the house, and we were talking about doing some things to the house, and... She said, well, I guess we better get ready not to, to tighten our belts, because if you get this car, you know, we ain't going to have some money to be able to do I said, you know, we can still do some stuff. So Friday, I said, I think I made my decision. I'm going to keep the car I got for a little while. I'm going to fix it, although I don't want to. And maybe by next year, as I pay off some things and do some other things, I'll be in a position. It wasn't that I couldn't afford it. It was like when I weighed the balances of new car, down payment, and all that good stuff, and then monthly payments versus, I said, so anyway, that's my decision. I said that to say this. You have to look at what was going on. Cars do rust. Oh, the car I had wanted was, oh man, it was laid out. Nice big screen. I could play my Uh, podcasts and do all this and navigation and just use my phone and tie it into I mean it, it had the bells and whistles and then I get in my faithful trusty van and go hmm but God led me to say that will come don't get wrapped up in all the glitter and gold because those things too will rust and corrode. and that's what he says here. These rich people were withholding wages from people. And the idea was that because of that, the people were in trouble. The people were suffering. Jeremiah 22 verse 13 says this. Woe for the one who holds his palace through unrighteousness. His upstairs rooms through injustice. Who makes his neighbor serve without pay and will not give him his wages that's what was going on they weren't paying people and they were prospering themselves and in the meantime people were suffering Also, in verse number 6 not only were they not, not only were they withholding wages but they were controlling the courts you know money speaks you could do some things if you got some money you can speak to lawyers you can speak to judges you could do some things and in verse 6 he talks about controlling the courts so, on a cartoon strip had this, the question was asked: What is the golden rule? The other, another character in the strip says, he answered this: Who, Whoever has the goal makes the rules. Got it? Whoever has the goal makes the rules. In a worldly sense, that's true. That is true. Well, we all, we know what we always say the golden rule is, but the converse of that, for those who don't know the biblical aspect of it, or the Christian aspect, for them, whoever has the gold controls. And that is true. Power, prestige, all those things. The ability to say, hey, on the side, if you do this, that is what goes on. But James is saying, that ought not to be. Amen? He who has the gold. We know who really controls. Amen? Amen? We know it is God. He has said you stored up treasure. Notice what he says, verse three, your gold and silver corroded. There's corrosion, will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. The anticipation James is talking about here is that James believed that he was in the last days. The last days started the moment Christ rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. From that point on, we've been living in the last days. We today are in the last days. Why? Because he has not come back yet. He will. Amen? He will come back. But here's the thing. We just don't know the day or the hour. But we should live as so. We should live our lives as if Jesus would be returning even back today. Even so, come now, Lord, today. Lord Jesus. Come today. But you know what? You can't say that if you're not ready. That's maybe, that's maybe why we as Christians don't live like that. We're living like, okay, give me some time to get some things squared away and then come back. Because if you come back today, guess what, Lord? You may not find me where I should be. But here's the thing you don't think about. It's not about where you are. It's all about what Jesus has already done. Amen? If you believe in Christ and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk today, if He's to come back, you are assured of heaven. Not because you crossed every I and uh, dotted every I and crossed every T. You're assured of heaven because of what Jesus has already done. It's not about me and my righteousness because God, good Lord, there is no righteousness apart from the righteousness that I have in Jesus. We talked about that on Wednesday night. God is our righteousness. Amen? I have been been declared right, not because I say so, but because he says I'm right. Amen? Why? Because he's the righteous judge. I'm so glad Jesus is my judge. And not any of you. I mean, I love you, but I'm glad you're not judging me. Because if I had to be judged on your scale and on your curve, I, won't, I wouldn't make it. But on God's scale, I have been declared right before God. Amen? I just find it ironic that in the book of James, he talks he's talking to these, quote, religious, non-Christian people. And he said, all the stuff that you have, all the stuff that you have accumulated, it's going to rust. It's going to go away, and that sort of speaks even to those of us who are Christians. It's good to have nice things. God doesn't want you to live in a dump, but realize this, that your nice things will one day. Guess what? I know this. Back years ago when Sheila and I first got married, my favorite car was the Volvo 740 station wagon. I just loved the way it was shaped, the way it looked. I was like, we're going to get one of those. We started having kids and stuff, working the Volvo. Now, you know, Volvo's kind of up there. Then I talked to a guy who was a mechanic and he said, "Ooh, do you know how much repairs are on those things? He goes, my God, man, you'll be spending tons of money if you ever have an accident or you need something replaced. And I went, oops, it's it bad enough with the little cars we got now. I can barely afford that, let alone talk about repair on something that's expensive. It went out the window. Amen. But rich people don't think about, we don't think that stuff that we, we're, we're good at accumulating stuff. We're going to have a yard sale. Now, don't go to your closet and, and do this. Don't go to the closet and say, You got a lot of stuff you probably need to get rid of, as well as I. Amen. Now, I am in our relationship, I'm the thrower outer, I'm the get rid of. My wife sometimes keeps stuff with the idea that we will use it one day. If, after five years, I keep saying, are we going to use this? Yes. No, we are not. Get rid of it. And here's my rule. I want to tell this to everybody that's going to participate in the yard sale. Whatever you bring, if you don't sell it, it goes with you. It does not stay here. Amen. And my rule is, at my house, if you put it in the yard sale, don't bring it back inside the house. Goodwill, Salvation Army, whatever, get it's gone. Amen? And in the process, we'll still do what? Accumulate more stuff. That's how we did this. It was a good success. I pray this one will be too. James says, listen, it's going to rust. It's going to corrode. And in those last days, those days that one day talk, spoke to the fact that the kingdom of God was going to come, that it was going to present to the people there what he's going to tell them in verse number seven, when he says, because of all these things, because you understand, look, the pay that you rich people withheld from your workers who mowed your fields, their cries are coming out to you, and the outcry of the harvesters have reached what? The ears of the Lord of hosts. God hears all this. You know, we're so good at standing up for our right. This is what I want. But know this for sure, that if wrong has been done to you, God hears your what? Cry. We as a people should know that. God heard our plea and heard our cry. He heard the cry and plea of the nation of Israel. It may have taken 400 years, but he heard them. Somebody said he's not, he may not come what? When you want him, but he's what? Right on time. So whatever you're going through, even if it's a financial situation, if you're doing right by God, God hears your plea, God hears your cry, and know that because he does hear, he will answer. That's what he's trying to tell these group of believers here. Note that God hears their plea. God has heard your cry. Yes, you were done wrong. Yes, the person that hired you for doing their field or mowing their grass did not even pay you. They did, not, only did they not, not only did they not just say, Here, here's five bucks, they didn't even offer that. We had a yard sale at the Christian school yesterday, I guess, or whatever it was. I just can't believe. When we had yard sales, my wife had yard sales. We spent some money on some of our kids clothes or those donated by my brother, good, good clothes. Okay, you have a yard sale? Here's what they would say, $2. Now, wait a minute, these are was those shoes we used to buy the kids? Stride rights. the old you know, leather shoes with the little brown or black and white and help the kids' feet form and all that good stuff. Those are nice expensive shoes. 40, 50 bucks. didn't even wear them that long. Still in good, brand new condition practically. I'll give you a dollar. A dollar? Are you kidding me? Not knowing the value of what's going on. They didn't even pay their workers what they were due. Not even trying to get close to it. But God heard their cry. He heard their plea. He says, now look he hears the cries they cry out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts you have lived luxuriously on earth and have indulged yourselves you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you you live great eat Drink and be merry. Do what you did. You partied, you lived, you drove the biggest cars, or the biggest chariot, you did. You lived fantastically. In the meantime, the people who you were using did not have that same ability because you denied them even what was rightfully due to them. But then James says this. He spoke to those who were doing wrong, but wherever you see the word therefore, you got to ask the question, What's it there for? And in verse 7 he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. What does that mean? God says to those who knew him, All that I said, all that James said before, yes, you were done wrong. Yes, you didn't get paid right. Yes, things will rust and corrode, all that. But understand this. All he's asking us to do is to be patient and wait on the Lord. We may be acted upon wrong. We may be done, things may be done wrong to us. But if you wait on the Lord... And somebody said, "Wait, the Lord and what? Be of good courage. Know that God is going to deliver you." Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Do you understand? We can say he's an on-time God. Has he been on time in your life? Has there ever been a moment in time in your life that something was going on and you were praying and praying and praying and nothing seemed to happen? But then one day it happened. That was the moment you should have been able to say, raise your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank be to God. He did not come when I wanted him, but he what? Came right on time. And that's all James is trying to tell these believers. They were discouraged, they were down, and they really felt that God wasn't hearing them. But James says, know this, be patient, wait on the Lord until the Lord's coming. And this is also true, and I close on this. God not only delivers today or tomorrow or whenever he sees fit, But there is a day coming when God will balance the scales. And all that was done wrong, God's going to make right. I get tickled at our government. I get tickled at our politicians. I get tickled at people who think that they can escape from what God has already set in motion. Oh, you can postpone a lot of stuff. You can do whatever you want. But know this for sure. When you have done wrong, God will justify, rectify, and balance the account. All right. That's why I'm not worried. That's not, that's not why I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying and watching and fretting and fuming over what's going on in our world today. A lot of it's not right. A lot of stuff that's going on was flat out wrong. And we're, trying to make, we're living in a day where wrong is now trying to be made what? Right. It's not going to happen. Oh, they can try. And they may get a part of it done. But in the end, this is what I know. Not what I think, but what I know. God is going to say, step up here, brother. You now have to give an account on what you have done. Amen? And for me, I don't know what it's going to be like. Part of me is like, ooh, to stand before God? I don't know what that's going to be like, but... I know, but here's what I do know. I don't have to worry about my destination. I know where I'm going to be. So how do you know, Pastor? I know because one day I accepted Christ as my Savior. And one day, because I read in his word, that his word assures me that if you know the Son, because Jesus prayed a prayer, he said, Father, listen, because they know me, that now gives them a right to eternal life. I know Jesus. Jesus talks to the Father. So when I stand up there and God's going to show all the things that I did wrong, all the sins of my life, and everything else, and He says, you know what, by rights, this person, Byron, should be condemned, sent to hell. But, 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 I have an advocate, I have a lawyer. (laughs) I have a lawyer that's going to say uh, your honor father that's correct but this is what you need to know he knows me and because he knows and accepted me everything that you said he did wrong put that on my account now you know what if somebody was to walk up to you after church and say, All the debt that you have, whatever it might be, I'm going to give you a blank check. Fill it out. And you go, Excuse me. Did you say blank check? That's what I said. Now, you can't say that unless you have the means to back it up. No. You could say, how much, ask yourself, how much would I write that check for? What you owe, and then a little something, something extra so you could have some extra to spend. <laughs> yes, indeedy. But get this, Jesus paid on our account. What's the song saying, Jesus what? Paid it all, all to him I owe. That's what Jesus did for me. He says, Byron has a check. He can't write it, but I can. Amen? Amen. That ought to be the most exciting news in our life. That God saved me, and because He saved me, oh, I know I don't do everything right. I know my attitude is wrong sometimes. I know I think wrong sometimes. I know I do wrong sometimes. But it's not about what I do, it's all about what Jesus has done for me. And He wants me to do right, He wants me to talk right, He wants me to act right. That's His desire. That's what he wants from me. He wants me to walk and talk and be with him. But even when I sometimes I don't, he still loves me enough. His grace and his mercy. Oh, glory be to God. That's why I can just sit back and say thank you, Lord. Because as imperfect as I am, I serve a perfect Savior. Amen. And James is going to let those people know and he's going to let us know that of all the wrongs that are done just be patient. Hang on in there. Hang on in there because deliverance will come.